Welcome to Business Unfiltered, where we dive into the raw and unfiltered world of running a business with Mercer and Jeff Sauer. Grab a seat for this unfiltered journey into the world of entrepreneurship. This is Business Unfiltered. Welcome back to Business Unfiltered. It is Mercer. I'm here with the one and only Jeff Sauer. And today we are talking about trying to answer the question of what's sort of the minimum level of team that you need. And so, Jeff, I'm going to throw this out to you first. How do I identify team? Like when you're thinking about team members, is it employees? Is it freelancers? Is it contractors? Is it everybody in between? How do you think about team and, and sort of the, the size of your team? Yeah, it's a good question because I, over the years, depending on what narrative I want to tell and sell, I've, I've, I've included everybody in the team and I've, I've included nobody in the team. It really depends on the story you're trying to tell. But I, I like to think of team, at least for today's episode, as the extended team of people that regularly work with you. Now, this can be maybe it's, it's a series of contractors. It's, it's preferred contractors who you go back to over and over again. And it's the resources who have the continuity along with you while you're building your business. That's how I like to look at the team in that perspective. So it's, it's the continuity. And so that to me is a combination of employees, if you have employees, um, you know, full-time W-2 type employees. It's also your contractors who you go back to over and over again. Could be somebody you've hired on Upwork a hundred times. Could be somebody that you're that you're directly paying through your contract system. Could be somebody you went through a formal hiring process with or somebody you went through a gig process with. And, and that's sort of how I look at the team. Um, you could also include people who you've done it with one-offs if you want to tell a narrative that your team is bigger. Like I've seen people who say, you know, I have 150 employees and I was like, oh, that's crazy. I'm only at like six. Like, where are they all at? And it's like, well, we have 114 people in, in the in the Philippines in a call center. It's like, OK, well, that that's that to me is a little bit different than than 115 full time W2 salaried employees in the United States. Right. So right. you can do a lot with those numbers in order to indicate what your team size is. And a lot of times it's fitting to the narrative you're trying to put out there. Yeah, that's interesting. From a marketing perspective, that makes sense. How how do you how do you handle it? Like when you were kind of growing up in the industry, and you move kind of from freelancer to okay, now I've got to learn outsourcing. Let's say right, because that's typically what we're doing is kind of start from a freelance perspective, moving into let's get a little bit of extra help doing the thing that I don't want to do because what everybody always tells you, right? Like list the stuff that you don't really get energized by, and that's the stuff you want to form out to somebody else. So like, how do you, how did you sort of determine like, okay, now I need somebody and it's worth, because it's a, it's a, for the most part, not always depending upon where you're hiring, but it can be a, a decent size expense from an investment perspective. So like, how do you, how do you prep yourself to be like, okay, now I've got to bring in an actual human being to help me versus some other method, like a, a vendor or, um, you know, some SaaS product that automates it or something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's two things. One is if you've banked money, whether it's in the current role or a previous role, that makes it a lot easier. So in preparation for this current business, I banked a lot of money. I banked five years of my personal expenses and had that just sitting there and just knowing that it's going to take me a while to start the business. And so I had enough bankroll that I could either choose to spend five years of my current lifestyle or maybe two years with other people on board to get there faster. Right. So I, I had the bankroll to be able to do that. Not everybody does. I realize how fortunate I was and, and how forward thinking I was to do that. So I'm not saying that's typical, but that is one way to do it. The other one is, and this has also happened to me, is investing 
a little bit outside of your comfort zone. If you don't have the bankroll, then you are basically making a choice of, of how long the runway is to hire this person. So the way that I shortened that runway at first was by hiring apprentices. You know, I hired apprentices at the, you know, low thousands of dollars a month, as opposed to where that person with that skills might be five, $10,000 on as, as an employee. Um, and I gave my own, I to help them. I, I basically taught them how to do the job in, and gave my time in order to get a less expensive resource. And then eventually they, as they blossom, a lot of people are getting paid significantly more or have moved on to other roles. So those are the two ways that I can see getting outside of your comfort zone at first. It's either you have the bankroll and that's, that's something, if you have profit in your business, that is the ultimate bankroll. If you don't, then it may be your savings or something like that, that to get, to get somebody or faster. The other one is, um, hiring outside of your comfort zone. So if you can afford somebody for three months, hiring them, and then just figuring that out over the next three months, how you're going to be able to afford them for the next nine months. The good news is that in business, you got money coming in, right? We're in this thing for turning a profit. And that's the point. So I, th I think that it definitely, you, you have to have some kind of faith that you're going to figure it out during that time period that makes you uncomfortable. How about you? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same. I mean, there's there's no way around that uncomfortable. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I'm a grown up now. When it comes to that, like, you start to feed this sort of additional expenses, and and people tends to be at payroll tends to be one of the larger expenses um, that grows the fastest, right? Uh, in a lot of cases, and so it's like that number becomes real, real fast, and you start going like, gosh, I remember, like, I remember the days uh, very clearly when I was like, if we just make three thousand dollars this month, I'll be so happy. Like, and just because it was just me, right? And it was like, oh, that's going to cover the bills. That's going to pay the rent. That's going to get things going. That's going to give me another month where I can continue to play the game and grow the business. And, and I remember that feeling. And now emotionally, you know, that's that's a, a substantially different number now in, in my head where I'm like, if we just make it to this today, right? Um, but it's that same emotion of like, I just got to cross this number to make sure that the basic bills are paid and we can play again for another, for another month. Um, so I, th I don't think it ever goes away that feeling, but the numbers certainly change uh, <laughs> as, as you're going through it. Um, we started the same way though. It was like, you know, eased, I eased it in into hiring part-time to begin with. We were doing outsourcing in the Philippines, um, which worked out really well for us. And it was just like, okay, I need somebody to help me write a blog because I don't have time to do that or the will to do that. So I could direct them and we sort of brought them in, you know, that, that perspective. Eventually we moved into a video editing role. Cause that was definitely something where it's like, even though I can do it, should I be doing it? It's the best use of my time or can I be out there doing more things like this and producing more content to, to attract more eyeballs to the website. So it's like, well, I'm going to free myself up from doing this video editing. Not that I can't do it, just that I shouldn't be doing it because now I can free up my brain to do other things that are going to be more valuable for the organization, right? For the business. So we started moving into that and that, that stuff started working out pretty well. Um, as long as I think the trick is, it kind of goes to your point, you're, you're measuring against how things are supposed to work. And that's why I think a lot of businesses just don't do that. They try things because they were at some mastermind and, and let's face it, they'll listen to podcasts like this and they go, yeah, it's a great idea. I'm going to go outsource now, but they don't have a, a forecast of how that's supposed to work. What the results are you supposed to get from that person in a period of time, you know, and thinking that through because some of them don't have the runway when it comes to like, oh, it's going to take six months for this person to get up off the ground. But if you don't think that through, right, you're going to you're going to go broke. You're going to go cash poor doing that and have to live off credit cards or something, which is not a, a comfortable place to be. So I think there's a little bit of that planning ahead going, OK, what am I going to do with this role and how is that going to free me up to 
pencil to make sure that this whole thing makes sense for the investment. And then managing to that process, let's say over 90 days, I don't think you need to do it very long, but over the next three months, here's what should happen if we are doing this thing. And then personally, whenever I hire anybody, I'm always for sure, no matter what, three months, I didn't even think about the hiring decision till 13 weeks later. And at that point, I know they're either going to work out phenomenally well. And you, and you typically know within eight weeks, um, to be honest, but, but I always kind of have that mental note of like three months, it's going to take them to learn kind of where the virtual bathrooms are, so to speak, and how the company operates and get into the company culture and how we use everything. And within those three months, I'm going to see them either blossoming or, you know, exiting. And, and because of our hiring process, we don't have many exits, which is good. We're pretty tight on how we hire. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's kind of, you know, that's how I think about it. And then I guess to now, how I think about it is kind of the same thing in that, to your point, I'm saving runway, right? That's what the reserves are for. The reserves build for, and everybody knows that on the team. Like we're we're transparent on, on what the numbers are, um, to not necessarily what we're paying everybody, not to that extent, but in terms of what the profit is. And, and no one in our company thinks like, wow, you know, Mercer's taking home all this money. They understand the profit is going to rebuild reserves. So the company's got resources so the company can grow itself, including doing fun things like let's fly everybody into some country and, you know, party for a couple of weeks or whatever the things are that they all want to do. That's it needs reserves. So we make the company profitable. So it's got reserves so that it can invest. And some people want to build a department. So now they're learning to project out how am I going to hire this person, you know, and how much is that going to take? And then where do we need to be profit wise to, for an X amount of period of time to make sure we can comfortably afford that person, you know, and that's sort of how we, we now grow into it. Um, the, the final thing, and then I'll, I'll sort of pass it back to you. So I'm curious about how you handled this too, growing, growing through the different stages of the business is I did also at one point, um, we had plenty of credit. I made sure the business had its own credit lines. So the business has its own credit cards, has its own credit limits, uh, we would use them to build credit, right? Not purposely getting into debt. It wasn't that. It was just to show that we properly can uh, use debt. And then we would open up lines of credit. We have line of credit um, that we grew over time. And we did that when we didn't need the money because that's when the banks will totally give you as much money as you want is when you don't need it. So that's what we did. We set all that up. We had all that down. We don't have any debt. We're not using them. They're not tapped, but they're available. So if, and this is more of like that emergency, in case emergency break glass, if the perfect person came in and I don't have, let's say they're going to cost me a quarter of a million dollar salary or something like that. And I just don't have it in reserves. I definitely have access to it where I could comfortably get that in place, you know, for maybe a period of a year and buy that runway, you know, it'd be a big, big think through, but I've got resources for it yeah. just for those like weird little black swan opportunities where I'm like, okay, this is going to be worth it. Um, but I'm not necessarily planning to do that, if that makes sense. So I sort of have yeah. my backups to like, here's where I can really capture somebody's incredible talent. We have that ability to do that if we need to. Otherwise, I naturally sort of organically have the business grow into that as the business gets bigger, it's building reserves so we can hire the next team member if it even needs that. Um, especially with what's going on with automation and AI, that a lot of that things that we used to hire for, we don't necessarily have to hire for anymore. Um, so we're now we're starting to consider that, like, do we even need a team member? Yeah. But um, but anyway, that's sort of how we we're processing it, I guess. Go, you know, throwing it back to you in terms of the how do you know you need to add or will be adding a team member? Because I think that's a lot of things. Like, you know, you hear things like, well, it's just right before, like, right when you're starting to get too busy, or it's well, no, it should be right before you get too busy that you're adding that person, so you don't have that. Like where. Where are you on that sort of scale? Yeah. Oh, I love the the follow-up question. And then you're you you got my wheels turning on this as well. And I definitely think that there's the timeline element of where you're at in your business that does impact the decisions. The first level of decisions are always about the founder and the founder's 
care and making the life easier of the founder. So that's definitely the first thing we do with hiring. And that, that, you know, when you, when you, I always tell people that I coach that founders hard, you're, you're, you're the entire C-suite. You're the chief executive offer officer. You're the chief operating officer. You're the chief financial officer, chief, chief marketing and sales officer and um, chief product officer, right? So you're everything. And to, to fill out a C-suite is really expensive. You're the cheapest ever C-suite person, right? So filling that out is something that takes a lot of time and goes there, but you eventually are only going to be able to be in two or three of those seats at most successfully if you want to be a larger company and you want to get to the million, you know, $10 million, five, $10 million in revenue. So at some point you need to fill those roles. And so you should think in terms of how do I fulfill part of that role with a minimum viable resource with somebody who's less expensive. So can you offload, you mentioned the video editor, that's offloading some of your production and product stuff. That was one of the first roles that I hired as well. Web designers, people who are doing customer support, those are roles that the company needs that you can easily offload. And that's offloading from the founder. Then as the company gets a little bit further along, you find yourself, and I'm in this position now, where you start hiring for roles that make the people that you offloaded the first thing to that make their life easier. <laughs> and that's really interesting. So you're not even hiring for yourself. You're hiring for the person that you hired for yourself. <laughs> and so I'm starting to get to that point now. And that's a totally different interest. That's a totally different vibe and totally different investment because it's like, there's almost no immediate payback for you other than the certainty that you won't have to get those things back onto you. So that's like being on defense versus being on offense, right? So it's, and it's hard sometimes to think about it that way because when you first start out, everything has a purpose and everything has an ROI attached to it. And usually that ROI is your opportunity cost. It's freeing you up to do other things. But then later on, you're actually hiring up other people in order to just prevent you from having to go back to that, right? So I think I just said that. So. Um, but as you go along, then the question is, do you, you know, how much do you want to make that investment? So one of the big mindset things that I've done working with a mindset slash business coach in the last year is not thinking about hiring employees as an expense. I don't really think about hires as an expense anymore. I look at them as op as how much money can it make, right? So some of these are direct money-making roles like sales and marketing and stuff like that. Like I was, I was hemming and hawing about hiring our director of marketing almost a year ago from the time that we record this. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can afford that. And, and I talked to my business coach. He's like, what do you mean you can't afford it? A marketing director makes you money. So this person will make that money for you if they're good. If they're not good, then, then they won't, then, then you shouldn't, then that's the wrong person. So it's not, a, it's actually not an expense. It is a profit center. And then it's, and I was like, okay, well, what about when I hire my director of, of product slash um, community moneymaker. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. That is a moneymaker because of retention and things going in there. So like basically now I look at every role that I hire as an opportunity to make more money. And the question is, do I, do I invest in them before I make the money or after? This is where I love your idea of a line of credit. That's basically saying I'm giving myself the ability to invest in this role that's going to make me money but not have to make the money first in order to invest in it. So you're using somebody else's money to make yourself money. That's leverage, right? So I, I wrote down a topic of leverage and, and leveraging things. I did something similar. So I took a loan, a low interest loan, um, something that was available from the SBA in order to have that war chest in my bank account. And now I, now I know, um, 
basically that I can, I can, I, I, I bought the runway at a very, very low interest rate, knowing that if I pay 2% on something, I can make 10, 20, 30% a month on it just by using it. Right. I know that if I have this money, I can leverage that. So I'm basically doing the, the I don't know if you call it arbitrage or just the float on it saying I'm taking somebody else's loan at 2% and turning it into a 20 to 30% return month over month. That is leverage. That's brilliant. That's how that's, that's like type of business moves that, that the people who get to be where we want to be, those are the moves that they make. Yeah. Making the move of like, oh, this is my money out of my pocket is not really going to get you to that point. Right. And so that, that's something that I, I've already taken action on because um, just knowing that that gives you that level of certainty that you don't really need to worry about, right? You have a long term to pay it off. It's not that high of an interest rate. And can you do you have faith in yourself to bet on yourself that I can produce from two percent to five percent? Absolutely, I think you can. And so that yeah. that's a no brainer at that point. I love that, and that's and that's how. Yeah, so we, we did the same thing. Like our our um, marketing director, a guy named Omari, um, that works with us. He he started as a contractor. It was kind of like. You know, we didn't have the funds to afford a, a decent full-time salary at that time, right? Not to comfortably afford that. We had a line of credit. We could afford him from a vendor perspective, and he was just 1099. He was coming in to help us out, and that was the deal. And he was like, okay, we'll do this for six months, and then we'll see where we go. Does this make sense to continue? And after six months, it was as we were getting to that, it was like, okay, it starts to make sense to continue. Let's do that. Um, and then at a certain point, I, I went to him, and this is where uh, I took on additional expenses for a team member, but it was to sort of work with him and say, listen, like we've done this vendor thing for a while. And at, the, at a certain point, we were getting the majority of his attention anyway. So I'm like, listen, if you want more money, there's only one way for you to get it, which is you're going to have to charge me more, right? As a vendor, like you have to do that. And I'm, cause I'm not just going to give you extra money. Like you're going to have to charge more for it. Every time you charge more, I have to think where else can I get this mm -hmm. as a, as a good entrepreneur? So I said, but if you come in as W2, like at the end of the day, I think most of your focus with us anyway, I understand the idea of wanting to be your own, your own boss and all that stuff, but do you really want that? Or do you want to be in a company where you can do, you can have, you have all the control, the freedom, everything you want, except I'm dealing with the BS stuff of payroll and taxes and 401k plans and everything else. And, and it's my job now as the, as the team lead, right. The team manager to make sure that you're making more money through bonus plans and whatever else. And it's my job to make sure that you're getting what you need. And then I'm going to help guide you obviously to, to be able to create an environment that we can all do that sharing the proceeds, assuming you're getting the results we want. And that's, that's exactly how we sort of stair stepped in from taking somebody that we could not have afforded from day one, and moved it into a, a, a something that we could easily um, afford because of the line of credit trick, right? Which was just like, hey, we're going to do it. If it doesn't work out, worst case, I pay it off. Worst case. At best case, it's bringing in money. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second because that was that's a really smart insight. And then just, okay, now how do we evolve that? We didn't just keep it on, well, it's a vendor relationship. Because I could have done that. And he could have been maybe happy with what he was doing. And maybe he could have been you know, focusing on us. But I didn't feel like I had that connection with the with a complete unlock, right? And so that's where we, when we think about it, or I think about an expense specifically, it's for one of two reasons. I only get two payoffs. One is it's either an efficiency unlock. In other words, I'm making things easier for something or someone. And the other one is it's a revenue unlock. In other words, if I do this, I'm going to have a better and average chance of additional revenue coming in. In a perfect world, it's a combination of both, right? The expense we're putting in is going to bring us additional revenue. It's going to allow us to access revenue we couldn't otherwise access, and it'll produce it in an easier way, 
right, than we're, what we're currently doing. That's a perfect um, sort of expense investment. But with in Amari's case, it was, hey, we're going to we're going to do this revenue unlock in the beginning because him as a vendor coming in and then it moved into, OK, I'm going to invest a little extra in him. We're going to move into W2. Yes, it's going to cost me more for because I'm paying payroll taxes, and everything else now. But it becomes an efficiency unlock because he's really just dedicated, truly dedicated to the team, builds his own. Now he's got his own department that he's building out and, and managing and all of that stuff and could give him the growth that he needs. Um, as So we sort of grew a team member from essentially freelance you know, on his own to coming in through that using these, these different techniques, um, which has been pretty useful for us. Um, and it made it so that it wasn't um, destructive to the company. Because I think a lot of that can happen where you take on too much and you can't afford the salary of the person uh, and you try to commit hoping that, well, they're going to be a superstar, a rock star, a salesperson or something like that. And almost that doesn't happen typically. Right. So I try to make it so that I can comfortably afford it. So I don't have to worry about for sure the first 13 weeks, for sure. I want to make sure those are covered and I don't ever have to think about that. Like I try not to put myself in a position where it's like this has to work or it all goes down. Right. I try to have multiple, you know, points of paths to success uh, with that stuff as I'm expanding out. Yeah, I love it. And the funny thing is, that's exactly how I became uh, agency owner. <laughs> um, I, I was a contractor with an agency and we had a lot of synergies. I saw that they had these this infrastructure of things that I didn't really know how to do, like making payroll, like having an office, like having computers and stuff like that. I didn't really understand that stuff. And I didn't want to take it on. I was like 23 years old, but I knew that I, that my skills would make them better as well. So I just like, they didn't, they didn't propose it to me. I proposed it to them. I was like, make me your partner and I will make you rich. <laughs> and that's, that's cool. How, um, I, love that. um, I got, and I, and I got, and I got some, I got some of the equity in it too. And that allowed me to, when we sold, I got, you know, I got, I got money every point in the way, which is amazing. So I think that is a great arrangement entrepreneurship's not for everybody and the risk, the challenges are really hard. So for some people who want to be entrepreneurship adjacent, that's all you need, right? It's just like, Hey, you can ride the wave with me. You won't have to, you know, I'll become your best client, but beyond that, we'll come up with the other, these other things that will make you wealthy beyond your dreams. I'll probably get more in the end, but that's because I took on more risk, right? Yeah. And I think that a mature conversation out there, it can, can happen. And I think that actually being a great, number two or number three or, or in the, in the C-suite, like we talked about earlier of a growing company is about as good as it can get. Right. So yep. definitely on the mature side, but you can also, you can buy your way into having your CMO gradually with the method you talked about. So that's like a master class in getting value each step of the way and increasing that value. Now, is that guaranteed to work? No, I've hired people who I wanted that to happen. And it didn't happen. And we either I had to let them go because they weren't growing into the role that I wanted them into. And it was costing me something not having that role filled. Um, or I or they left because they didn't want that, right? They they wanted parts of it, but not all of it, right? So yeah. I had to let them go or they left. And that's natural. And that can set you back as well, right? So you, you are putting eggs in the basket. Like, I, actually, this is something I'd like to say is that by, by hiring somebody in that method, the contractor to direct, you know, to marketing employee, to value, valued member of the team, that's like three years. So if that doesn't work out, you just set yourself back three years. And that happened to me. I got my wow. ass kicked 
and got sent back three years by trying to do what you're talking about. So there's a downside of it too that I want to address is that in the best case scenario, you basically have locked in somebody who knows everything about your company and who's got the growth potential. In the worst case scenario, you basically put all these eggs into one basket versus now my mentality is I'll just buy that. I'm going to just buy them now. I'm going to buy the expensive person, pay them what they're worth, not try to get any deals going. And I'm going to use this line of credit as the way to, to justify buying it because buying it will have a return on investment. And so my attitude has changed probably because I got my, I got burned yeah. in that. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense. I got two, two questions on that. Cause I think it's important yeah. one is knowing what you know now, um, obviously knowing what you know now, you wouldn't repeat the process. However, let's pretend you have all the experience you have now and you were going to do that process. Would you have noticed it faster than three years? Like, would you have been like three months into this and be like, oh, I see the signs already. And was it a, was it that you just didn't know enough and you were ignoring the signs that were there? Or is it like, no, I would never have known it would really be three years till I could even knowing what you know now. Like yeah. there are no early signs. So like, I guess that's my first question is, yeah. what, is there anything that you would recognize now like to pass on to somebody be like, Hey, look there's definitely word like the marketing guy specifically. He's like, I, I want to be a copywriter. I don't want to be your director of marketing. He was outright with it. Mm. I was like, Oh, maybe he'll come around to it, you know? And, and he just wasn't happy in doing that. He wanted to be a copywriter and that's it. And now he has a copyright. He's a copywriting consultant and, and it sort of came to a head. Um, and I ignored it to the point where I'm, I, there's definitely some, some sentiment between in my mind that I feel like, I got a little bit screwed, but also I should have seen the warning signs sooner. So I, I, I take responsibility in everything. I, I think that I, I should have, I should have just acted on it sooner. I didn't act on it sooner. That's the problem. That's now, always with entrepreneurship though, right? Yeah. We have, we have so many yeah. lessons of like, if we well, don't on this. Started as an entrepreneur or as a, as an apprentice and then was there. And then I had a kid and I was like, mm. I, I, I don't want to have, I want to have team continuity while I'm taking time off while I'm moving across the country. So there's just a weird, weird things going in my life that made me hold on a little bit longer that I don't, I'm, I'm sort of insulating myself from that now. So yeah, I, I think I could have made a decision faster, but I don't know if I would have decided differently. Um, I think that I, I definitely should have either come up with an ultimatum or, or arrived at hiring a true director of marketing way sooner though. That, that has made a huge difference, a director of marketing versus a copywriter. Yeah. Um, somebody else can take some of the weight versus yeah. is waiting to be like, have you carve out something on their plate? You know, yeah. it, makes, exactly. it makes sense going. So the other, the other question I had to kind of a, the close the loop on that is when, now that you've learned right now, you were of the mindset of, listen, I'm going to save the money and I'm going to hire the right talent. And it's going to, you'd think differently, obviously. Right. You're like, I know it's going to be a chunk of funds. That's why we're building the reserves for this chunk of funds. And we're going to, put in a salary because I'm going to hire somebody. I'm not going to grow them. I don't have time for that. I need to take somebody who's already grown themselves and they're doing the job. They're just doing it for somebody else or somewhere else. And we're going to yep. plug them in an organization. That's going to cost more for you to make that decision. Do you think you could have made that decision at, with the confidence that you are currently making it without having first gone through that initial three-year debacle where you sort of like, in other words, can you only make this decision now because you have that experience? That sort of says, well, now I understand that's not a good path. And I'm trying to think about the person who's listening to this going, well, I haven't, like, if I have that opportunity, should I try to yeah. onboard half? Because they have literally one story where it worked out, one story where it didn't. The one obvious difference is my um, my uh, relationship with Amari was the exact opposite. He was a copywriter who wanted to learn how to do mm -hmm. 
director of marketing. He was the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, so he wanted to grow in that position. So that that worked out um, in our yeah. head. Well, so the answer is yes. I could have done it sooner. I could have made the decision sooner. I didn't have to go through the failure. Um, if I would have had my coach, he would have he would have failed for me. I think mm -hmm. coaches are great. They fail for you. This is why I've gotten into coaching and why I'm a pretty good coach because I've done all the f ups yeah. and I've failed for them, so I can prevent them from doing that. Also, I just try to study other people. Like my brother, he started a new company and he's he he got funding and he hired like 40 people in the first year, and that's insane. Like you know, so it's like yeah. that is possible. You can hire 40 people. Such a different world. Yeah. yeah, it's a different world, right? And so that's a funded company, but he went and got his MBA. So like an MBA is a way. Uh, an MBA is your coach. A coach is a coach, um, probably not YouTube, but trial and error is probably the least effective way of doing things. So doing that the way that I did it is the the, the worst way to do it. Um, and so that's why I've just started to admit that I need somebody to help me see the angles where I don't need to have primary experience. For a long time, I called myself the crash test dummy of digital marketing because I tried everything and I can tell you what works or not. I'm actually sick of taking the damage. <laughs> um, I'm not, I don't like doing that anymore. So I don't want to be a crash test dummy. I want to be a smart business owner. <laughs> I love that. What a great final thought that was. I love that. That's perfect. So switching from crash test dummy to like a real live business owner. Uh, be careful what you ask for in marketing because you might just get it. I think that's great. I didn't even I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, well, with that, I mean, any other any other final thoughts you want to add on to the to the topic before we officially just sort of wrap it up? Yeah, I think this is a good one. There's a lot of meat on the bone on this one. I think we could probably do a follow up on it too. We I've already written down about three or four more ideas for episodes. To, I, I did too, especially around the coaching. Is like, how yeah. do you know you need a coach and how do you how do you take advantage of them? Because I think there's a yeah. lot of that out there too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I think this one just I would bottom line it as saying like y'all learned from my experience in Mercer's. And that is that there is a gradual thing. Cheapest, cheap, cheap is good at first, but the more you pay, the better you're going to get. If you don't, if you're uncomfortable with it, do consider if this is a profit center or an expense. It's probably not an expense. It's probably a profit center, meaning that it lowers your bottom line or increases your top line. Because th those are the things. This is a profit center, even if it's somebody you mentioned that that takes over the operational piece that frees up your time that can be a profit center because it allows you to make more money. They're not making money for you, but they're allowing you to. Those investments are there. Think about things that are readily available, like lines of credits, SBA loans, stuff like that, that can help you bridge when you're uncomfortable. And that can hopefully give you enough comfort where you'll make the decisions that you should be making or that you, that you desire to make sooner versus waiting until the last minute. I love it on all counts. And I'll just second the, the thing of on the lines of credit and building up bridges, financial bridges that even if you don't need them now, you might in the future. So you might as well build them up um, as you can. And with that note, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks again for listening to Business Unfiltered. We'll see you in the next episode. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Business Unfiltered with your hosts, Mercer and Jeff Sauer. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and tell a friend what you've learned today. Want to connect? visit us at businessunfiltered.fm. This has been Business Unfiltered, always unapologetically honest. <laughs>